When a man's heart is full of deceit, it burns up, dies, and a dark shadow falls over his soul. From the ashes of a once great man has risen a curse, a wrong that must be righted. We look to the skies for a vindicator, someone to strike fear into the black hearts of the same man who created him. The battle between good and evil has begun. Against an army of shadows comes a dark warrior, the prevailer of good, with a voice of silence and a mission of justice. This is Sting. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Gentlemen, welcome to Give Me Back My Pro Wrestling. I'm Dean Hill. See you at ringside. All right, listeners, thanks for tuning in to Give Me Back My Pro Wrestling. And today we've got a very special episode ahead of us. As you probably read on the welcome mat there, it is What If Sting versus Hogan, Starcade 97. Now we know how much we love this growing up, how much a great storyline this was. So what we're going to do is we're going to break it down a little bit. We're going to talk about what led up to it, what led out of it. And what we think would have made it a little better. Obviously, the what if element of this show is we're going to try to essentially make it make sense, maybe smooth it out or do our best. But of course, as always, I'm here with my main man, Plastic Sheet, my brother, Jut. How are you doing today, buddy? I'm good, brother. And we're going to, in the words of Byron Pillman, play the Booker Man a little bit. Booker Man. Anyway, so yeah, that being said, you know, the what if element is something that we kind of collaborated on. Basically, when we come up with ideas for the show, we always text amongst one another with Dan and Jared and I, we get in a text messaging and we say, okay, we got some ideas. Well, Jared, it was about a couple of weeks ago, Jared said, what we could do is we could try to rebook the Sting versus Hogan deal where, you know, Starcade 97 and try to see if it could be done any better or what we think could have been done or just really take a good analytical look look at it. And I was like, you know what we need to do? I said, we could start a series because Jimmy is all about the series over here. I love having series on my other show, Live and in Color with Wolfie D. I love having series with this show. I love it. I love it. You'll see as many of them as the other guys will let me. But what (laughs) I wanted to do was start the series called What If. Basically, we could take controversial stories from the past or present or whatever, try to rebook them and say, what if this would have happened in hindsight? Would that have been better? So yes, I'm ripping off the Marvel cinema universe don't sue me mickey but at the same time i just like the idea you came up with the idea for the story you know to the sting versus hogan but then we put an element to where we can make a series to where we can take any kind of element that ever happened and simply make a show about it and call it what if so anyway i'm happy about that the main thing that i'm happy about though right now is everybody that's hearing is 
we want you to wish the plastic sheet Jared a very happy birthday. As of this recording, Jared has turned 41 years old. How's it feel, man? Isn't that awesome? Uh, I, I think the aches and pains feel different after you cross the 40 threshold. So yeah. um, for anybody under that, just it's coming for you. Uh, <laughs> exactly. When you wish, when you wish me a happy birthday though, you can't forget little sheep to wish him a happy birthday. I can forget. Because me and him share the same birthday. So yeah. Isn't that cool? I mean, I know there's elements of it that possibly aren't cool, but I think you and Jocelyn and my sister-in-law, I think you all have made a real concerted effort to make the birthday about him, especially as a young boy, you know, he's, he wants to probably make that day feel special, but for you, I mean, ultimately that's the greatest birthday present. Is it not? (laughs) I I, I tell people sometimes it was my last birthday present. (laughs) It's so true. Yeah. The only, the only person who still gets me anything is our mother, our dear mother. So. Our sweet mother. Now, I'll, I'll, uh, you know, I try to get you something here and there. But you a Wolfie D sticker or something. A Wolfie D sticker, or maybe even a Give Me Back My Pro Wrestling sticker. You know, that was a great segue there. We are going to be partially or in all at the upcoming RobCon event in Abingdon, Virginia at the Virginia Highlands Community College Higher Education Center. The cool thing is, is I'll be representing the podcast there. Wolfie D will be there with me. We'll be representing the Live and in Color with Wolfie D podcast. All the other people from the podcast network are going to be there. Plus Jake the Snake, Butterbean, some really cool people. I've actually never been to a convention in my life, but this will be the first. So anyway, yeah. Butterbean has nice, uh, nice history with the uh, WWF. I mean, he did knock yeah. out Bart Gunn in like two seconds. Uh, he so. did. He did clean his clock and Bart ain't no joke. So well, no, Bart mowed through the rest of them people. So yeah. Anyway, long story short, you know, we're going to be there representing. If you guys are in the area, come on out and see us at RobCon in Abingdon, Virginia. But, you know, other than that, you know, of course, the big deal is the the Sheik's birthday. Everybody send him a happy birthday. Say it in your car. Say it at your home. Wherever you're listening, just wish him a happy birthday and he'll fill it through the air. Obviously, for his birthday, we had to do a show that he suggested. And that is this one. So, you know, with all being said, I know, you know, we sometimes have longer intros, but I think we ought to go ahead and get this going and and let's ask what if. Sounds awesome, brother. All right. We'll be right back after these messages. Hey guys, this is Wolfie D from PG-13. Check out my podcast, Live and in Color with Wolfie D every Monday at noon. We're talking Memphis. We're talking ECW, WCW, WWF, everywhere that I've been. We even have some great guests, some Hall of Famers on the show with us every Monday, Live and in Color with Wolfie D. If you're a pro wrestling fan, there's something for everyone at the Cheap Heat TV Podcast Network. From the Pro Wrestling Discussion Show, Cheap Heat TV Live, to the Interview Show, the Jackson Interaction Podcast with the king of all wrestling media, Gene Jackson, to the silliness of the Whitey Jenkins Show, and the brand new Zip, Xander's Irresistible Podcast with Charles Anders. You can check them all out and much more over at CheapHeatTVLive.com. All right, we're back with Give Me Back My Pro Wrestling, and we are once again doing What If Sting versus Hogan, Starcade 97. Now, let's just start out with this. This was one of, if not the most important feuds, I mean, against, uh, you know, versus 
Vince and Stone Cold, this may have been the most important feud of the Attitude Era. I mean, wouldn't you agree? Oh, definitely. It was uh, it was built for 16, 18 months, and to have the perfect ending would have culminated how, how far WCW had came from being kind of a, a big-time second fiddle to now being the top dog. It sadly is looked at in history now as basically that was so WCW of them, you know. So yeah. to kind of build up things, Hogan and Sting were both six-time WCW champions. They shared that number. And now that may have been all time, of course, but, you know, just to kind of give you all some perspective, that was their legacy. That was their history. Both of these guys were big time people in WCW. Of course, you know, Sting is obviously looked at as the undertaker, the icon, the phenom of WCW, you know, not necessarily because of the dark character, but because he was the Homer, you know, he was the guy that could have gone other places, but never did. He stayed in WCW. He championed WCW. And in a lot of cases he kept wcw afloat when i I hate to even say it but you know when people like maybe like rick flair and those seemed a little outdated he was the guy that ushered in that you know era i think in the future i would like to do an episode of what if if you switched out the ultimate warrior and sting you know my theory is sting had he been in the wwe role he would be one of the greatest ever like he is and the ultimate warrior may not have lasted six months you know So I would love to do that. What if in the future, but today we are focusing on Hogan versus sting in the Starcade 97. So to start things off, I'm just going to say this, and I think I've heard sting say something similar to this. This was an enormous buildup with a huge letdown payoff, you know? So to go back when the outsider showed up in NWO sting was the first person to stand up to the outsiders. And that makes sense being that he was the guy in WCW that basically was WCW. You know what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. I mean, even to skip way ahead, Sting was super loyal to TNA. I mean, look at that. He didn't owe TNA anything, but he was super loyal to them. Yeah. And that that just shows what type of guy he is and uh, the the appreciation he had for the business. So, you know, some people have said, you know, when him and Jim Hellwig got into the business, they didn't love the business. But the difference was Sting was willing to listen. Ultimate Warrior wasn't. Right. And that's the thing, you know, that that's the argument there. But so Sting was first to stand up to the outsiders, basically bash at the beach. 96 happens. It's Sting Luger Macho Man versus the outsiders. So it's three on two. The whole match. They're like, where's the third man? Where's the third man? Well, Luger gets hurt, goes to the back and it's evened up. Macho Man and Sting versus the the outsiders. Luger's hurt. You see Hogan walking down the aisle, and we've talked about this before in the Factions episode. Everybody obviously thinks that it's going to be Hogan is going to take the role of Luger, and it's on, you know. But obviously the leg drop happens. NWO is formed, and, you know, so on after that. That's what leads to this, you know, the start of this story right here is Hogan's turn. And that's so iconic in the lore of, of wrestling history, you know? Oh, absolutely. I mean, like, it's something that we never got with, say, a person like John Cena right. uh, or any or many other baby faces. We never got that true, like, surprise heel turn that just leaves you with your jaw on the floor. Like, I remember watching that for the first time and being like, 
oh my, where did where did my Hulk Hogan of my childhood go? Right. He is he is literally um, just turned on everything, the prayers, the vitamins, you know, yeah. everything. Yeah. He he just threw that away, and that's what makes it so great. I mean, like that's why the NWO stuff, you know, the turn, everything like that, the surprise, it still stands up to this day and will stand up to the end of time with, with wrestling. Yeah, you're exactly right. So to kind of progress things here, Sting, if you notice, he starts to get a little darker. He's wearing his normal tights, but they're black tights. He is adding his Sting color, and his face has got his color, but his hair is also, he's losing the the color of his hair, too. It's going back to his natural dark hair. So the, the bleach blonde surfer Sting is getting essentially removed or erased, and the slow decline of sting into darkness is showing itself and so basically around this time the fake sting shows up uh, fake sting was jeff farmer made his career in japan you know it was a heck of a hand good carpenter from what we've heard he looked a little bit like sting maybe even portrayed sting in in the indies maybe maybe not i'm not 100 on that but he shows up and then that plays into lex luger who literally was sting's best friend i mean it, it was always talked about that Luger sting and the Steiner were the, the best friends, you know? So with that being said, Luger starts to lose faith in storyline in sting because of the fake sting. So, you know, at the time of this happening, sting is trying to team up with the four horsemen for the war games. That's hey, about to happen. Brown. Paul yeah, Brown. Yeah. So it's going to be Sting and the Horsemen versus the three NWO members and an unknown fourth man. So, like it says, Luger is losing faith in Sting because of the fake Sting and NWA playing its tricks. And at the War Games match, I'm not 100% positive of when this happens, but at one point, Sting comes in and he literally drops every NWO member. He takes them out and he turns around at Luger and says, you know, is that proof enough for you basically? And, yeah. and Luger, you know, they go on to lose the, the WC because, because Sting basically leaves and he's like, you know, I'm here for you. You don't believe me. I just dropped everybody in here for you, but now you can handle it on your own. Basically. Yeah. Yeah, you want to be like that. You got to handle it on your own. So on Nitro, the next night, he comes out and he's ticked off and he gives this angry promo claiming that he's a free agent now and he's not with WCW or the NWO. The Stinger is here. Let's hear what he has to say. I want a chance to explain something that happened last Monday night at Nitro. Last Monday night. I was on an airplane flying from L.A. to Atlanta. When I got to Atlanta, I tuned in the TV to Nitro. And I thought I was watching a rerun. It was a very convincing film. Why won't he look at the camera? Often imitated, but never duplicated, though. And what else did I see? I saw people. I saw wrestlers. I saw commentators. And I saw best friends doubt the stinger that's right doubted the stinger took a little so little symbolism i heard lex luger say i know where he lives i know where he works out i'm gonna go get it so i said to myself i'll just go into seclusion i'll wait and see what happens on saturday night 
and I tuned in Saturday night, and what did I see? I saw more of the same, more doubt. Which brings me to Fall Brawl. I knew I had to get to Fall Brawl to get face-to-face with the total package to let him know that it wasn't me. And what I got out of that was, no, Sting, I don't believe you, Sting. Well, all I got to say is, I have been mediator, I have been babysitter for Lex Luger. I've given him the benefit of the doubt about a thousand times in the last 12 months. Yeah. What's he getting to? I don't like the, and I don't I've like the tone the of this WCW at all. And I've carried the WCW banner. And I have given my blood, my sweat, and my tears for WCW. I don't like where this is going. So for all of those fans out there and all those wrestlers and people... That never doubted the stinger. I'll stand by you if you stand by me. But, but for all of the people, all of the commentators, all of the wrestlers, and all of the best friends who did doubt me, you can stick it. From now on, I consider myself a free agent. But that Uh doesn't mean that you won't see the stinger. From time to time, I'm going to pop in when you least expect it. He was the banner waver, the flag bearer of WCW. If there is one person to be trusted in WCW, it's Sting. And I love that part of this storyline because... It made it's almost like um, and I hate to give this comparison, but it's it's a, like a massive event, a horrible event happens to you where you lose your faith in God. Almost you question if what you've lived your life for even matters. And in this case, obviously, it's not that major. It's wrestling, but whenever he loses faith in WCW and in alternately. A lot of the WCW guys lose faith in Sting. Pretty, pretty heavy stuff, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, and you know, you get to, it's it's very much like I mean, basically losing a best friend. Lex Luger and him were best friends. They lose each other. I mean, Sting was loyal. Lex Luger got confused by the NWO using some recording of Sting's voice. Right. And and the, just the look of the sting, and I think he attacked Luger. I think yeah. Luger got like attacked from behind or something like that, and he couldn't really see exactly as what the story was, and he just thought it was Sting turning on him and joining the NWO. I mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. And so at this point, he gives this angry promo on Nitro and says, "I'm a free agent," and he dips. And I mean, not only dips, like he's not just chilling in the locker room waiting for a storyline to bring him back in. He's gone to Japan. <laughs> yeah. He's gone to Japan wrestling for new Japan. He does a tour over there of new Japan. You know, the guys, and I'm sure he had been limited with his ability to go to new Japan. So, you know, the guys go over there for a quick payday. I think I've heard that guys can make upwards of 20,000 a month just working for new Japan. So think about that, dude. And, and it's fresh too. I mean, they they get to be fresh, fresh matchups. They get fresh crowds. Uh, you know, the Japanese crowd is typically different than the American crowd, but it's, um, you know, 
it's a fresh crowd and fresh ideas and you can hone your craft over there and not yeah. worry about getting oversaturated back in that day. Uh, when really to watch new Japan or all Japan wrestling at that time, I mean, it was probably months down the road before we could ever see anything like that. Oh, totally. And uh, you know, I know those are gotta be available out there. I would love to go watch and, you know, do maybe like a watch along of those, you know, Oh, I'm sure. Fun. Yeah, that'd be great. So, okay, on October 21st, 1996, Sting officially returns to Nitro. You know, he looks a little different. He's not quite the normal Sting, but he's not quite to what he's going to become. He's kind of in the middle phase. He's got a duster, a big black duster, dark clothing, and he breaks up a match with the fake Sting Jeff Farmer and Mr. JL. And, you know, as a side note, as a side note. Jerry Lynn episode, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, listen to Live and in Color with Wolfie D right now. We've got Jerry Lynn on the show. I think you'll enjoy that. Thanks. <laughs> and yeah. so little plug ski. Yeah, 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 yeah. Little plug ski, as they say. So they break up the match, and honestly, he's looking a little more like his future look. But he comes out, he cuts a promo, and he says the one line that I've always taken from this, and I think Sting has kind of used this more. Is what does he say here, Jared? The only thing for sure about Sting. Is nothing's for sure. That right there is your cheap imitation. You get what you pay for, don't you? The real sting may or may not be in your price range. But the only thing that's for sure about sting is nothing's for sure. Boom. I love it. It brings in an element of Sting that you had never heard before. You know, Sting was always USA, get the bad guys, kick butt, take names, beat up, you know, and now you're questioning what's Sting even, what's he doing? You know, what's his thoughts right now? Right. Yeah. You you have no idea what, um, what he's even thinking, where he's going to end up. Is he going to join the NWO? I mean, they, uh, they, you know, might have tricked his friends into thinking that that Sting attacked him, but you know, maybe he'll decide, hey, if you can't beat him, join him. And you yeah. know, he kind of, he kind of hangs low for a minute. And in a few days after that, October twenty first, I think October twenty seventh, you get Halloween Havoc, Hogan versus Savage, and Roddy Piper makes a surprise appearance at the end. So yeah. you kind of get to forget about Sting a little bit. Yeah, you do. You do. You're kind of distracted. You're not worried about Sting. Now, the weird thing that I think is after that promo, the only thing that's for sure is nothing is for sure. He would not speak for over a year. Oh, yeah. That just added to the element of more what if. Like I said, if you were going to build the perfect storyline and really let John Wayne win in the end, this is how you do it. These guys are really booking it so well. You know, Hogan, of course, is wreaking havoc, doing his thing over everybody, you know. So he would not speak, but you start to see Sting in the rafters. Yeah, and and, and Scott Hall, um, to his credit, I've always heard Scott Hall had some input with Sting about this character, and he said, man, you kind of need to rip off Taker. You kind of need to rip off The Undertaker. You need to be this guy who doesn't say anything, who's mysterious, who puts fear in people. And, you know, 
that was a uh, heck of an idea from Scott Hall to give the advice that, yeah. you know, not that yeah. Steve Borden's thing couldn't have done that on his own, but it was some good advice that a well-respected wrestler gave him and they, they took off with it and you get what you get. And it was pretty, pretty dang good. Yeah, it definitely was. And if you think about it, he actually was the one that suggested the crow gimmick as well, which right. also think about Scott Hall's legacy in this sting still rocks that look to this day. So that, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He didn't go back to the red and yellow like Hogan did. He didn't, you know, he didn't change his look. He really rocked that look for the rest of his career. I mean, I know he had the tomato face time, which we'll get a little into that here coming up. But, you know, the Wolfpack look did kind of modify his look. He did a Joker type thing in TNA. TNA, right. That was still all based off the white face paint of the crow look that Scott Hall recommended to him. He was like, do the crow gimmick. Do like Undertaker. I mean, be the Undertaker. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's pretty killer. And that tells you again, like you said, about how, how smart Scott Hall was to the business. So, you know, Sting at this point is basically dropping out of the rafters, He's living in the rafters. He's showing up with a buzzard. He's doing all these, you know, dark things. He'll show up. You never know what he thinks. But the thing he starts doing is he he starts picking apart these matches with WCW wrestlers. Like I think he did one with Rick Steiner. He did several, but he would drop down and do these loyalty tests where he would get in the ring have a baseball bat, the WCW wrestler, whoever it was, would look at him and say, okay, is he going to hit me or what's he going to do? What he would do, he would hand them the bat, turn his back, and if they didn't hit him in the back, he knew he could trust them, right? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, he tested several people like that. The first person he tested was Macho Man, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Uh, I could be wrong with that, but I think it was Macho Man he tested first. Macho Man was sitting in a metal folding chair, and he was like hitting the folding chair with the bat and – yeah. And and he handed Savage the bat and turned around and spread his arms and yeah. Savage this, didn't attack. Yeah, and Savage didn't attack. And now this isn't a Savage episode, but he's gonna be brought up a lot because Savage also at this time kind of returns as his second. So basically Savage returns as a free agent with Sting, you know. Right. I even remember seeing Savage up in the rafters with Sting, you know. Right, yeah. Which is crazy. Now this leads into where Hogan is right now. Hogan is currently embattled with his old nemesis, Rowdy Roddy Piper. Of course, the things are switched here. Hogan is the evil one. Piper, always the best bad guy in every scenario, is the good guy. And, you know, this was kind of the time of the anti-hero. Obviously, Stone Cold was doing it so well in WWF, but that's kind of what Piper was, is he was the anti-hero. He was the Clint Eastwood. He had an edge to him that a lot of the, the baby faces didn't have, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And he had he had even a, a, a clan of people at one time that include, uh, included uh, John Tenta, Earthquake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can't remember who else was in that, but um, they were... They were like his clan at one time. They even came out like Scottish gear and everything like that. So Right, right. Yeah, yeah. he was developing his own faction. Yeah, it was just a way for him to have a faction, but to get some guys on their payroll to get to work, you know? So, oh, absolutely, yeah. 
Yeah, so you've got Savage returning with them, and then obviously during the the Hogan versus Piper match, Piper's about to win. Savage helps Hogan win, and Savage turns on Sting and officially joins the NWO. And I think that's still really good there because basically Savage was also a free agent. He was friends with Sting, or he he was in a, a kind of a a partnership with Sting, and he may have said, "Okay, brother, this is the way to go." Oh yeah, you know that kind of thing. Yeah. And so what happens? Sting hangs with the NWO for a little while, actually. And it makes you even think further. So, so Macho Man is full NWO, right? Well, Sting kind of doesn't really seem... It was a little ambivalent, as they say. You can look that word up, kids. But didn't know where Sting was going to go. So he kind of is hanging around him there. And this is at the other time where Dennis Rodman joins the NWO. Remember that? Oh, that was great. I mean, like, uh, to that showed how big wrestling was at that time to have somebody yeah. that's literally at times playing a basketball game one night in the NBA with Michael Jordan, who was very demanding of his teammates. And he would be on nitro in a free moment with Hulk Hogan, uh, walking around in his Rodzilla gear. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it just shows. Yeah, talk yeah. about him because you were a huge Bulls fan. So I was a huge Dennis Rodman fan, but you were a Bulls fan. Tell us a little bit about that storyline. So basically, he was actually skipping practices for the Bulls. Oh, yeah. He, he would skip practices for the Bulls and hang out with the NWO and party all night. And, you know, there's, <laughs> there's, it's not, it's not, not exactly the story, but there's stories of times when he would just leave the Bulls for like a week and be away and, they're like, well, we'll have to go back. You'll have to go get him. Like Michael Jordan, supposedly one time, like came to get him out of his hotel room. And he was like in bed there with like Carmen Electra. And it was like, come on, buddy, we got to go. Like, let's go. <laughs> got to get back to work now. So, I get I mean, why you're where you are right now, but we got to go. <laughs> yeah. I understand, buddy, but let's go. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine Jordan knocking on your like window outside your bedroom? You know, I can just yeah, like, imagine. Yeah, short being like, dude, you're not answering your front door. Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Jordan was so competitive, he would have probably kicked your door in if he yeah, you, yeah, that he yeah. needed you. And like, wasn't it something to where he was showing up for games, but he just wouldn't go to practice or something? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And like there's even a story of him when they got him to a practice one time that uh they thought he was gonna be hung over and just no good for practice. And they did this running drill where the, the the front person in the front would take it slow. And so that the person in the back wouldn't have to go as slow. Cause they thought Rodman would be in the back. Supposedly he like sprinted like, and it took them like four to eight laps to catch him. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, Rodman was one of those that could, uh, uh, turn it on on game time. Didn't need the practice. And yeah, he, he was, but he was an ultimate fit with the NWO too. He had that rebellious attitude that like, I don't need you. I'm not going to dress normal. I'm not going to color my hair. I'm going to have multiple piercings in my nose, ears, whatever. I don't need you. I'm, I'm going to do it myself and you're just going to live with it. So, I mean, he, he was a perfect fit for the MWO and it it gave them super cred with the, with the mainstream audience too. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. So to kind of dial it back quickly and tell you a little bit about Hogan. So basically to get him into this position, Hogan won his second WCW World Heavyweight Championship at Hogwild that year, defeating the Giant for the title. So the Giant had had the title up until Hogan won it. He spray painted NWO across the title belt, scribbled across the nameplate and referred to the title as the NWO title. Hogan at that point then would start a feud with Lex Luger after Luger and the Giant defeated Hogan and Dennis Rodman in a tag team match at Bash at the Beach. Then on August 4th, 97, episode of Nitro, Hogan lost the title to Luger again by submission. But five days later at Road Wild, Hogan defeated Luger to regain the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. It really kind of seems like at this time they had so many big name guys that they played hot potato with the belt, you know? Yeah. Um, So that is what leads up to Hogan having the title. And now, you know, where he kind of goes with this. So at this point, uncensored March 97 Sting repels down and attacks the NWO and reveals that he is with 100%, no doubt, 100%, no question. He is a WCW person. So the NWO at that point, they start deploying more fakes. I mean, I remember even, Kevin Nash showing up at one point as Sting. You know, he even had a Sting face. And so the other thing is, is kind of work this in. They were giving out Sting face masks. Oh, yeah. The, the kind that are probably a million dollars on eBay right now. I'm not talking about the ones that you can buy with WWE, but the kind that you got for free if you went to an event. Now, I remember you and I and a couple of our friends went to a match in Knoxville during this time. You know, and we got free sting masks at the show. Yeah, I remember and that. That was a lot of fun. And and so long story short, those sting masks were huge, but it also led to the ability in the storyline for a lot of these fake stings to show up and kind of, you know, and I think that really kind of ticked off sting eventually, you know, in the storyline. Yeah, and he and he would come down at one point when they were like sending hundreds of them in, and he would come in and like clean out a bunch of them and um, yeah. yeah and and Really surprised, like I think it was Buff Bagwell. Like they thought they were like fighting off all the stings, and then Sting like grabbed him and Scorpion Death dropped him. Um, yeah, yeah. There was also, hey, do you uh, just a quick quiz about that Knoxville Nitro we went to that time? Do you remember what the sign that Seth held up some said on it? Oh yes, I do. One of my it old said, friends. Yeah, say it. It said, "It said uh, Hogan, act your age and die." <laughs> I mean, that's so harsh, dude. I mean, I remember the lady, they would check you at the door to make sure the sign would. Wasn't offensive. Yeah. Or wasn't saying something about the WWE or something. And she was like, well, I'll allow it, but that's really mean. (laughs) And and we we also accompanied a, uh, sting impersonator, uh, in every awkward moment we could put him in, uh, when we went to Johnson city to, uh, Saturday night taping one time. So yeah, we made him go in the Johnson City Mall. We were like, yeah, I think we want some in the mall. He <laughs> went to see it. Oh, and we, he was dressed like Sting in the mall. <laughs> <laughs> and we stopped at like Burger King or somewhere. Like <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he <laughs> it was kind of mean, but it's so funny, you know. Okay. So uh, to kind of go back to real quick, you know, Sting attacks and reveals he's with WCW. One part of that, and you've made a short about it on Sheet Shorts on YouTube, is Dusty Rhodes says the most iconic Dusty line that is never really talked about, but I love it. And it's going to play right here. Oh, hell, he's broken loose. 
give a baseball bat. <laughs> broke loose and uncensored, and hell brought with him a baseball bat. I love that line. It's so good. And, you know, I just, I love that line so much. So again, you know, the NWO is deploying more fakes more and more. So JJ Dillon, he's the commissioner or the president or vice president or whatever. Head of the, head of the executive committee or something. Head like of that. the exec. So basically he's the good guy boss where Bischoff is the behind the scenes boss. So yeah. Steen keeps declining JJ Dillon's offers to fight NWO members. Basically he's offered him, Hey, do you want to match? with here do you want to match with this one do you mind you want to make anybody you want you got it and sting keeps declining those he he says you know and then finally dylan says well who do you want and sting goes out of the ring and he grabs a sign and it says something to the effect of you know sting versus hogan or he wants hogan or something yeah. points his bat at it and i mean dude i remember blowing up at that point that was huge <laughs> i mean i mean i'll be honest at this point we weren't even watching WWF. We were watching WCW. We would only watch WWF in the commercial breaks. Yeah, and, we would watch it in the commercial breaks. Or if we and and this is even with the WCW repeat at the eleven o'clock hour, basically. Yeah. You know, we would still watch WWE unless we were like. I think we figured out you could record it in your room, the WWE. We would record yeah. it, and then we would watch WCW. And yeah, that's VCR I mean, recording for all those. Yeah. You who were born after the year 2000. <laughs> exactly. Video cassette recorder. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Before your DVR. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think right there is a good place to take a break. We'll be right back with more from What If Sting versus Hogan. Hey, this is the one-man goldmine, the one-man enterprise of professional wrestling and all entertainment, Flynn Hendricks. And you better believe when I'm looking for a good podcast to listen to, I go to my own. I go to the I Know You Hear Me podcast hosted by me, Flynn Hendricks. That is such a fresh perspective for how you should look at life, too. Like, I just, I love that. And then when I'm feeling spooky, I go to my other podcast, Tales from the Haunt, where myself, I want my head shoved inside a 15-pound silicone mask more you know i want to have a bucket of sweat coming off me at the end of the night than just jeff dogs don't like it <laughs> i hate you so much talk to other scare actors about what it takes to get into the world of scare acting so if you're curious about how people became professional wrestlers actors prioritized their mental health became entrepreneurs avoided burnout or got into scare acting, you need to go check out I Know You Hear Me and Tales from the Haunt. Available on all podcasting platforms. And I know you hear me. All right, we're back with What If Sting versus Hogan, Starcade 97. Now, Sting gets his wish. He gets Hogan at Starcade 97. And this is where the What If comes into this episode because i know y'all have been listening you're like you guys are just kind of going through it stating the facts it's a recap buddy yeah it's a recap show and maybe we're doing that but hey the what if's coming i promise so just about this same time in the wwf obviously everyone knows and has heard it a million times the montreal screw job i even have an idea of how we could do a what if of that but we'll get into that some other time montreal screw job i don't think i've ever heard of that you're not familiar <laughs> 
<laughs> just so yeah, basically, we all know Bret Hart gets screwed out of the title. He's possibly leaving the company, and it's a long story that I don't feel like getting into. But long story, Bret gets screwed out of the title. It's true. It's just egos got in the way. Egos, egos got, got in the way for sure, and they weren't able to come to an agreement on his out. So Vince decided to go ahead and take the title off of him by hook or by crook. And so this idea for this match, the finish was supposed to echo some of the controversy of the Montreal screw job. Bret Hart was just signed to WCW and was already a ref earlier on in the Bischoff versus Zabisco match. Right. And then Nick Patrick does a regular count. Okay. It's a regular one, two, three. And Hart comes out and reorders the match to be restarted after Patrick botches the fast count. Now, the ref has said in this clip from the Dave Penzer show that he was asked for a fast count from someone and a regular count from someone. There was a, uh, a little pay-per-view uh, that had a little bit of a buildup. I'm obviously being sarcastic. It had about a year buildup, and it was the top WCW pay-per-view in, uh, in uh, the year, Starcade, mm-hmm. And... Um, there's been a question as to, uh, as if it, I guess as the story goes, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I wasn't in on all that uh, backstage stuff back then. Uh, but I guess as the story goes, uh, you were asked uh, that Sting was going to go over, win the world title over Hulk Hogan. You were asked by Hulk, right. this is the story. I'm not saying what you did. You were asked by Hulk to fast count it to give him an out. And uh, as the story goes, Either your fast count wasn't a fast count by any standards or somebody else got to you and convinced you not to do the fast count. Now, tell me, is that story correct? Is it incorrect? Tell me your, your version. That's incorrect. What, uh, what happened is the two people, Sting and Hulk, were, they were the two franchise guys. And these sure. two franchise guys were butting heads at the point in time over what was going to happen. Sure. And one guy came up to me and told me to fast count it because I was already doing, you know, you, you know, to get some heat so he'd give him an out. Right. And the other guy says, don't fast count it. Just keep it nice and slow. And so the person that was in charge didn't evidently <laughs> didn't want to make a call, didn't want to pick a side, and made themselves scarce all night long where I could not find them to ask them, hey, what do you want me to do? Now, Jared, you and I have differing opinions on this. I personally think Hogan asked for the regular count. Sting asked for the fast count. But you have a bit of a different theory on that. Yeah, I mean, and I've read some stuff and I've listened to stuff. I mean, basically, I was just trying to, you know, kind of read between the lines of what Nick Patrick was saying in that clip. And he also uh, he also says a lot. He says, somebody wasn't available all day for me to talk to. Somebody. Bischoff. Yeah. And I think it was Bischoff. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't yeah. name him, I don't think, but, but he says he was not, a, I, you couldn't find him to right. talk to him. Right. You know, so I think Hogan asked for the fast count in order to make Sting look weak and still make himself look strong. But I don't, I, I, I can, I can see it both ways. Yeah. I, I, I can see that. I think Sting wanted, was going to kick out in his scenario. I think the original scenario uh, from what I, I listened to, I listened to Bischoff talk about it. And I think I take, I take it. I mean, I have a lot of respect for Eric Bischoff, 
but yeah. I take a lot of things he says about this moment with a grain of salt, because I think he's either misremembering on purpose or intentionally right. uh, Con Conrad Thompson in their podcast gives him down the road for about 20 minutes about this. Like people should have been fired for messing up this moment. Yeah. If it, if it was truly that bad, um, Bischoff kind of plays a politician when he's talking about it a little bit, a lot. He won't ever, he never talks about, it, about Hogan and, right. and, and, and a lot of people, Kevin Sullivan included, uh, who was on the booking committee thinks that Hogan got in uh, Nick Patrick's ear and, yeah. and changed it up some way. Right. Um, yeah. So that basically they met earlier in the day, sting Hogan Bischoff and Bischoff claims that him and Hogan saw it with sting. He had no energy. He wasn't tan. He didn't look like he'd been working out. Yeah. Uh, and apparently sting had some personal stuff going on. I don't know if that was his marriage. I don't know if he had, he had some substance abuse problems in the past. Sure. I don't know. If, I don't know if some of that was rearing his head. Nobody has ever officially said what was going on there, but yeah. there are several possibilities. Yeah. So they say, Oh, he's not ready for this. He's not right. ready to be the champ, have the full-time commitment of the champ. You know, he's been off for 18 months essentially. And now we're going to put him as our champ and he's going to be our representative. He's not ready for it. And, whether that's true or not, I don't know. I mean, he, does he need to tan? He's kind of going to be covered up, and just his arms are really going to be showing is all. So right. does he need to tan? Maybe a good pump would have looked good. I don't know. I, I just don't feel like Eric Bischoff gives you the full answer. And if you ever want to listen to it, type in 83 weeks with Conrad and, and Bischoff, and, they'll, and you'll hear Conrad go off on him a couple times, basically. You think, how can they still be podcast partners after that? But um well, I mean, they're both adults and they know that that builds for a good listenership. I, and it does. Yeah, it so does. That's the thing. You can disagree all the time and still be friends with somebody. You don't have to remain in agreement with everyone all the time. You know, are you, are you sure Twitter would disagree Twitter? Yeah, you're right. At GMBMPW on Twitter. <laughs> all right. So, so, <laughs> so, you know, you said it correctly. Bischoff claims Sting showed up with no tan and he was out of shape. You know, part of that fits the gimmick, but I do remember feeling that, you know, because we were used to the pumped up almost the size of the ultimate warrior sting. You know, I mean, right. he was one of those dudes that was just massively jacked up. And I do remember being a little let down, especially, you know, especially I think it was more noticeable in his TNA run and his WWE run, but for sure, I was just like, yeah, he's lost some weight. Now, again, Eric Draven, the crow, Brandon Lee was not massive. He was skinny, looked kind of right. like a rock star because that's what he portrayed in that movie. He was a guitarist for a fledgling rock band. So he could have been taking some of that element. Also, he could have just not wanted to work out the same way that he did. You know, I, I do remember thinking that, man, I feel like Sting's lost a little weight. I don't know about the tan thing. I mean, you know, he looked pretty tan to me, but, you know, Bischoff can say a lot of that. But, you know, I, re I remember reading about in Bret Hart's book when he talked about seeing Hogan come back for WrestleMania 9. And he had just worked some movies in Hollywood and all this stuff. And he said he looked like a lean old walrus. <laughs> And I mean, <laughs> Hogan did kind of turn into the basketball player size rather than 
you know, what he, he rather than a 24 inch Python, your brother pumped up to the max, you know, and what's you gonna do when Hulk Hogan and his little holsters rumble all over you. So it kind of is funny that Bischoff says that about sting. Whereas Hogan, who was always ripped. I mean, Hogan was always in good shape, but he was not quite as jacked as he used to be. So, you know, I, I, I give or take on that. Maybe Bischoff thought that in his mind. Maybe Hogan saw him and said, yeah, brother, that's not going to work for me, whatever. So the match goes as such. Can anybody look tan next to Hogan though? No, no, <laughs> my mother-in-law maybe, but <laughs> other than that. So the ref has said that, you know, about the fast count, but Sting eventually wins with the sharpshooter slash Scorpion Deathlock due to the controversy. So Bret Hart, says that the fast count doesn't count being that he was a ref in a match earlier. He's claiming that he's a ref in his black t-shirt. You know, the WWE would not have missed that. That's the thing about WCW there is the WWE would have had him in some stripes or a blue shirt or whatever, but that's neither here nor there. Hart, Claims he is some sort of official. He restarts the match. Sting wins with the sharpshooter Scorpion Deathlock. And then the next night is nothing but controversy. So on Nitro, Hogan protests claiming ref's decision should have been final and that the rematch was granted. So they get a rematch on Nitro. And here's the other annoying crap that you know they did on purpose. They ran over the time slot. Oh, yeah. The finish was aired. On Thunder, which guess what Thunder that was in the row of Thunders? Was it the first one? The very first one. So yeah. similar to Starcade, two different refs declare two different men as winners, and JJ Dillon vacates the title. So Sting had the belt for one night and then it was vacated. So Sting says his first words since October 96, he looks at JJ Dillon and says, you've got no guts. And he looks at Hogan and says, and you, you're a dead man. The title is being held up. What? Wow. The championship is vacant until we can come to some decision as to what to do from here. Look at the face of Sting. And Sting... I need for you to give me the championship belt. This is a horrible moment. Look at the face of James J. Dillon and the face of Sting. And actually, the NWO is not even happy either. This is a really a victory for the NWO. It is. You've got to think that James J. Dillon would rather throw himself in front of a bus than do this. Did you see what Sting did? You got no guts. He's talking. You. (laughs) You're a dead man. Sting has spoken. Fans will be back. And you know, actually, you're wrong with that being his first words. His first words were after, after Starcade in the ring. He looks at the camera and he's like, "Mama Sita." Okay, fair enough. You're right. Mama Sita. Because people are like, people are like, what? What is Mama Sita? <laughs> well, that's a great point. But as far I mean, as- he literally looks at the camera and he, he says something a little bit before, but he can't. It's un. Yeah. He, it doesn't catch it. And he's like, Mama Sita. All the stars of Mama Sita. 
I guess his first official words. I know. I'm just saying. (laughs) Mama Sita. If if I can play that clip, it's already played. So I promise. (laughs) So you've got no guts. You're a dead man. And the NWO starts to kind of bust up after this. You know, Sting recaptures the title in February at Super Brawl. And then he defends it successfully against Hall, Nash, DDP. And then Savage wins the title from him at Spring Stampede. Of course, the Wolfpack officially forms and, you know, so on and so forth. I mean, basically, you just have Bill Goldberg the whole time on a meteoric rise. I mean, yeah. So now let's play what if. Okay. Now let's say that Nick Patrick does the fast count. And then it all makes sense. And at that point, because you know for a fact, just like we did, I know that the Mick Foley deal where Tony Schiavone says that'll put butts in the seats, that kind of thing. It's kind of said, okay, hey, that's what made WWE win. But if you want to start that boulder rolling, I think this is the spot that that boulder starts rolling. I think people are like, you know what? They're treating us like we're idiots. You know, we clearly saw the regular count. Why would that be restarted? The only reason it would be restarted is if the good guys cheat. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and, and they think that, um, you know, a lot of people will tag that Starcade 97, which was supposed to be the biggest pay-per-view for them ever. And it drew a huge number on pay-per-view. I can't remember what the buy rate was, but it was huge for, for WCW. Oh, yeah. And they, there was a lot of issues going on. Kevin Nash didn't show up because they thought he had had a heart attack uh, in, in his home in Phoenix. And so he didn't show up to face the giant. Macho Man stepped in in a three-man tag or six-man tag in a NWO. It was, it was some weird stuff. A lot of people think the best match on the card was the very first one. Dean Malenko versus Eddie Guerrero, and those two can can bring it. So it doesn't doubt me. Yeah, and, and I've I told you earlier, Jimmy, but the the stupidest thing to me is no offense to either one of these guys, and I have you know respect for these guys, but Lex Luger and Buff Bagwell were given the most time yeah. of any match on that card. That is incomprehensible. Right. <laughs> it's incom- I mean, the work rate alone would tell you to trim that match. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> you know? they they got the most time of anybody. I mean, give that give the time to Dean Malenko, Eddie Guerrero, give it to DDP and Kurt Henning, give it to somebody else. I mean, like <laughs> Well, in reverse it, in hindsight, you know, most of the people say nowadays that if you had the lower card, the undercard of WCW and the main events of WWE, those would be some of the greatest pay-per-view events of all time. Oh, definitely. Because you have the undercard guys who are killing it, like the Eddie Guerreros, the Rey Mysterios, the Chris Benoit's, the Chris Jericho's, the Dean Malenko's. I mean, Perry Saturn's, the Ravens. I mean, you know, all of those guys were killing it, you know, other than, DDP and Goldberg, you really can't think of that many, you know, and again, Goldberg wasn't 
like going to blow you away with his technical abilities. And, and to be honest, DDP wasn't either because DDP no. was on the other side of time. You know, he was getting older. He was the same age as all those guys, except he started so much older, so much later. And so, you know, other than those guys really weren't getting the exciting main events. I mean, but let's do the what if. So the, let's just pretend everything went perfect. Okay. What what could have happened? Sting wins after the fast count. Of course, they do the inevitable rematch. Okay, then Sting goes on to defend against all the villains. You know, Hogan kind of takes his side, and then what could have theoretically happened there is Hogan could go on and lose to Goldberg before he has the title. Okay, right. And He's kind of feeding, maybe let's say he works DDP then. And then, of course, obviously, you know, the only thing that we can't do what if on is the inevitable freight train that is Goldberg. That was happening whether we wanted it to or not. And I assure you at that time, I didn't like Goldberg. I still really don't. I respect him, but I don't care about him. And his matches bore me to tears. But that was not going to be stopped. That was the freight train of Goldberg. That was happening. Not freight train, not ice train. <laughs> what was his are, name? Are, are you Jimmy Street or are you Bret Hart? I'm listening to about Goldberg. Yeah, I'm, I'm, just kidding. I'm Jimmy Street Bret Hart and Dan right now. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I mean, Goldberg, Goldberg was what he was. He was yeah. very ultimate warrior ish to me. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. I, I have more respect for him than probably warrior, but he, he was on, he was just on the, such a fast ascension. I think the ultimate goal would have been to have sting drop the title to him at Starcade 98. Exactly. That's what I was leading to. So yeah. think about it this way. That would be like the great torch handing off to the new baby face. Yeah. You know, a baby face versus a baby face, if it's done correctly, I personally think Sting would have been the bad guy in that one because Goldberg would have, was so inevitable. It was impossible. You know, you, you go to those live events and you see the people just lose their mind over Goldberg, and it was just like, Bleh. We we like a jacked up Nikita Koloff. Don't get me wrong, but come <laughs> on. But anyway, think about it this way: If Sting would have gone on with the title and actually had a good long, maybe last run with that title, maybe he lost it to Savage. Maybe he lost it to random people. But long story short, Sting is the guy. And then Hogan, you Hogan could have worked at, at angles with Bret Hart. Hogan could have worked angles with Goldberg. None of those guys needed the title, but what would have been cool is to see Hogan face, let's say, Bret Hart because of the match deal. Hogan it goes on to face Bret Hart. Bret Hart was the sheriff. He, he wanted to make sure nobody screwed over anybody under his watch. Sting gets a free run in front of him. Eventually that he goes through Hall, Nash, Savage, DDP, all these guys. Hogan, however, is working, you know, a long angle with Bret Hart. Let's say a, a heck of four or five month angle with Bret Hart. Then he works an angle with Goldberg and then Goldberg inevitably runs out of people to beat. And then it has to be sting and they meet up at Starcade 98. That to me is the only way that this would have been corrected properly, in my opinion. Now, I know there's a million other thoughts on that, but what are your thoughts? Okay, so that's the perfect, natural thing. I've actually got some alternative like ways they could have done things just completely differently. And instead of doing that hokey uh, take on the Montreal screw job 
uh, with Nick Patrick. Um, you know, Nick Patrick's motion, I've heard a lot, is a very long, sweeping motion. So even his motion is shortened if you watch Starcade. So maybe it was a fast count for Nick Patrick. It seemed like a very average count to everybody else. But maybe that was a Nick Patrick fast count. But what if we have what if we have other other ways we could have got there besides doing doing the Montreal screw job takeoff? I mean, what if we could have just how about just a normal scorpion death drop or scorpion death lock and one, two, three or yeah. tap out? I mean, that would have got you there. If you I've heard they wanted Earl Hebner to be that guest referee when they drew the name out of the out of the hat of all the referees. I've heard they wanted Earl Hebner, whether that's true or not, who knows? No, Bischoff claims it's not, but yeah, that would have been an interesting take had they got the referee, but I'm sure he was under contract with Vince. So I don't know how that would have, Yeah, there may have still been some heat with Bret Hart too. You know what exactly, I'm saying? Exactly. So Earl might have been like, no, I'm happy where I am. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, are you ready for me to go into like a like a alternative, like a, a, a true like try this instead of that? I mean, are you sure. want, yeah. yeah. What about? It's a tough one because you'd, you'd got to you'd have to change some of the stuff. But like, so when you think of Bret Hart, you typically don't think you typically think of the good guy, the guy that's always standing up for right, always going to do what's right, the guy that got screwed out of the title to what, Montreal Survivor Series. You think um, he's never going to do anything wrong. You typically don't think of the Hart Foundation in um, right kind of right after Stone Cold when they did this double switch where he right. was kind of anti-American and all this stuff. Yeah. So what if instead of Bret Hart coming to clean things up, what if he had just attacked Sting and cost Sting the match somehow? And he, he joined the NWO at that point instead of later. And he became like the new guy with the NWO and aiding them. And then, you know, being, being their new horse to run with. And, um, you know, cause there were some questions obviously about Kevin Nash's health at the time. They didn't really know how he was going to be if, if he had had a heart attack or not had a heart attack. Um, that that's, you know, who knows right. on that, but what if you had got a heel Bret Hart right there and, 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 you know, and done it right, man, you could have, you could have said, so then you could have done sharpshooter versus the, uh, Scorpion Deathlock, and yeah. and then yeah. it, so if you if Hogan didn't want to drop the title, then I think it would have been so cool if you could have had Bret Hart be a bad guy right there and be join the NWO. Now would yeah. it have worked? I don't know, but oh no, it I, yeah. I like I like it better than what they did. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I agree, and that's a great idea. Think about that. You could have a six month run with Sting and and Bret Hart, and probably some of the best matches in WCW history. Correct. You know? Yeah, and I mean, man, and then that could have been beside the Goldberg and the inevitable inevitability of him winning the title from Hogan. You know, so that could have started that process. Now I don't really know or care to look to see the progress of, of Goldberg at that point. You know, let's just say he's 8 million and O at that point. <laughs> yeah. And so he's inevitably going to take on Hogan. Then what you're doing there is you've got like the, when does the DDP savage happen? What, what that was at that spring stampede or was that, are we talking 97 or 98? DDP wins the U.S. title at Starcade 97 from Kurt Henning. 
Right. Okay. And then I think it's because they had feud of the year. It was 97 spring Tempe 97. Okay. So, so that was before that. So, so that was before all that. Okay. Gotcha. So yeah, obviously you're looking at it that from that perspective. So you've got DDP in the chase there. Savage could always be the heavyweight champion Luger, you know, Bret Hart, no question could be a world champion. Hogan, obviously sting, obviously Nash. I mean, Nash, Nash, why Hall was never put in that really, who knows, but Nash was always considered the giant. You had so many guys that could theoretically be their title. Uh, Piper. Yeah, of course, Ric Flair. I mean, that's the sad part of all this is the greatest of all time is kind of put to the side here, you know? And I mean, it's just how it is. But when you have an influx of so many big names all at once, it really almost, it almost creates a, a log jam. You know what I mean? And so then you've got this Goldberg guy coming up out of kind of nowhere, you know, out of the power plant. Yeah. Out of the power plant. But maybe it was like a meteoric rise. Like you said earlier. So if you look into that perspective, I do like that where sting and Brett, you know, they work a long angle. Hogan's kind of battling his dudes. Maybe he gets into it with Savage again. Maybe he gets into it with Luger again. DDP. We never got a DDP Hogan. The only the only DDP Hogan I was thinking about Tag was teams. there was a uh, four man where DDP uh, won the four man for the title. It was Sting, Hogan, Flair, DDP, and DDP uh, beats I think pins Flair for the title. Yeah, so, I think that, I think that's right. Yeah, but so, but Hogan like only wrestled like half that match and then went out with an injury. So I don't know if that was right. You know, Hogan and I know they battled each other in tag team matches with Bischoff and Jay Leno and Dennis and Carl Malone. And Carl and, Malone. Yeah. You know, that's a what if and a whole other deal is like, oh, absolutely. What, what if Carl Malone would have become a pro wrestler? I think he could have probably been pretty awesome too, you know? Yeah. But so, okay. So then you've got that perspective where obviously you've got Hogan. He can battle all these guys. You got Sting battling these guys. But the cool thing is, is to me, you know, Sting and Hart in a true, when Hart's still in his prime, Sting is still in his prime. Then you run that up until inevitably it's Hogan versus Goldberg and, you know, Goldberg wins the belt. And then now we all know they had to screw Goldberg to get the title off of him with the cattle prod and I yeah. mean, all this stuff. But I mean, I think that's a good what if as far as, you know, do you, do you got some other theories? I mean, <laughs> You know, it's, it's, um, most of it just involves, you know, just doing everything more precise. Um, you could have had, if you'd wanted to, I also like the fact of what if maybe sting should have taken some of those matches, um, coming up and maybe he should have beat like savage and, um, Scott Norton, Conan, all those people in buildup, you know, he, he's just mowing them down, uh, on nitros and, you know, Hogan's like, I'm not going to wrestle him until he's beat everybody in the MWO and Sting can literally get to rust off a little bit in about two months and beat nearly everybody in the NWO. And you have some probably killer matches along the way and some squash matches along the way where he just decimates them. I mean, start him out, start him out against a fake sting and just let him decimate him. And, and then go from there and he, and he, and it gets the rust off and maybe keeps sting more interested, makes him feel more part of it. I've heard theories that sting thought they were going to screw him 
He thought they were going to screw him, like, and be like, "No, we're not doing what you said." Here's this. Sting won't hardly talk bad about anybody, so it's kind of hard to get his side of the story, right? So you get a lot of Bischoff is where you get a lot of your information. I've not really heard Hogan talk about it too much either. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's true, man, because, I mean, if you look at things like with Hogan, with, you know, obviously they have their legacies and stuff like that, but, you know, to get somebody to really say something negative about him because they don't want to. I mean, you just yeah. don't really want to, you know, I'm sure maybe amongst buddies they'll say, okay, I really wish that could have happened or whatever, but, yeah, you're right. There's no real negative talking, and that's a good thing, you know. And it's, it's not a bad thing, and it, it, it's better for us fans to have that kind of – kind of uh, that visceral response like um you know I, why did you do this that was so stupid let right. us do that and let them get along i mean like i'm glad sting sting seems like he's in a way better place in his life uh than he was at that point you know i think sting's happy with his, his yeah. himself where he's been um yeah it's just overall Absolutely. i just think i just think that it's good for us to say what if but they lived the moment, you know, they did what they did. Nothing's wrong with that. They should just, you know, they should just be, be well with themselves. Yeah. I think that's a great idea. And, you know, that's, that to me pretty much, you know, I think that kind of wraps up our, what if sting versus Hogan or Starcade? you know, do you have any more you'd like to add about that? All I'll say is this time in wrestling Growing up was my favorite time watching wrestling. We never missed a nitro. We never missed a pay-per-view. Uh, I mean, it, I, I, we watched it like it was our job basically. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I loved it. I still love it. I hate the ending. Uh, you know, but I was still excited for sting when he wanted at that time. I, I didn't care much about the ending. Then I did think, I do remember thinking to myself, like, I seem like a regular count. I don't think he got cheated. I know. <laughs> I know because we were there, at Uncle Duels. Yeah. Uh, and we uh, we were all watching it and just. <laughs> I was like, that was a regular count. <laughs> yeah. It was not a cheat. I mean, yeah, it was not a ripoff. But, and and yeah. you watch it. If you watch it on Peacock, if you go watch Star K97 on Peacock, it's a flat moment at the end. Like the yeah. fans are like, what? Uh -huh. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. it was a popcorn fart, man. That's what yeah. it was. It was just, yeah. it was, had no substance to it. And it just, it kind of deflated everything that this, I mean, it was probably one of the best buildups in pro wrestling history, possibly of all time, might be the best, maybe better than Hogan Andre, you know, but that being said, it was deflated in an instant because in the Hogan Andre, you got the body slam, you got the leg drop, you got the one, two, three, you got, you got what you wanted. Yeah. And in this one, you got it, but it felt like so much. And I've also heard Bischoff say this in other instances that Hogan's creative control. That's why I almost feel like Hogan is the, the real villain in all of this. I almost feel like Hogan's creative control allowed this to happen. So, yeah. And, and maybe Nick Patrick was like, dang, I can't piss off Hulk Hogan. I mean, like, right. <laughs> yeah. I can't piss off the big guy. You if there's anybody I can't piss off, it's him. Right. And then if Hogan's not pissed off, then Bischoff won't be pissed off. Right, and yeah. Sting, he'll be all right. You know, he'll get over it. Yeah. 
Well, I think that's it for our What's If today. We'll be right back after these messages. This is Charlie with Give Me Back My Action Movies. Uh, Join us every two weeks as we dive into the classic action movies of the 80s and 90s. And don't forget about the monthly contest and trivia. Exactly. So make sure you find us on all your major podcasting platforms. Hi, I'm Frank. We're having a good time. And Frank. I'll be back. And we're back with Give Me Back My Pro Wrestling Presents What If. So obviously today we've got our elements of what if. Of course, this is your birthday episode. So with that being said, we're going to ask the Plastic Sheik, the alter ego of you, the Plastic Sheik, to come on out. So give us a little action figure action. <laughs> well, well, Dan kind of stole my thunder last time telling about the uh, Power Town brand, but I wasn't on, so I'll take yeah. the Freebird rule there for Dan to uh, to brag on the Bruiser Brody figure from Power Town. I'm still looking for more stuff from them, but the Bruiser Brody figure, the the packaging, it looks amazing. Yeah. Uh, it, it is downright killer. I, I've heard maybe somewhere that they're looking at Labor Day for maybe dropping that Kickstarter. I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm hoping that's the case, if not sooner. Uh, but I got an email today from Mattel creations and on, um, August 31st, I believe at like 9 AM Pacific, they're dropping the second, uh, round of those, uh, WWE retros that oh, includes yeah. Bret Hart and Jim, the anvil Nightheart and Jimmy Hart and Nikolai Volkov. So <laughs> yeah, they look killer. And so if you've, uh, if you listen to this and you're interested in those, it's August 31st at 9 a.m. Pacific. So that's 12 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, they go on sale for pre-order. So uh, they look good. Check them out. MattelCreations.com. They look great. I'm personally hope to get some. Hope I don't miss out on them like I did the uh, No Holds Barred uh, set. I'm still kicking myself about that. So Yeah, because the secondary market's where it's brutal, right? Oh, it's brutal. It's like double the cost at least. Yeah. Well, that's, that's how it is. Hope we, you know, hope you get it as well. Those figures look really cool. I've seen some images of those on the Instagram, you know, so really to me, it's fun to see all these, you know, they, they were like, okay, these lines are all gone. Motu's gone. Master's line is gone. You know, the Hasbro style line is gone. The retros, but now they're all back and they're like doubling down on them. And it's really cool. It's, it's crazy that they have a Rimco style and a Hasbro style running at the same time. You know, so well, they know they know how big the collector market is right now, and they know how much the the generation of people who collected wrestling figures that are now have the money to collect more if yeah. they see something they like that you know they yeah. know that generation's out there. Yeah, they're not stupid. So <laughs> right, right, they're definitely not stupid, and they know who's buying what and why they're buying it and stuff. I'm anxious to see. You know, you go back to the the Power Town. I'm anxious to see that that price point that it's going to yeah. be. Yeah. And, and I think you you could expect the the Kickstarter is going to be a little pricier than maybe the normal figures will be. I could be wrong about that, but uh I'm doing the uh Kickstarter with a it was an Operation Recall with the GI Joe type figures. Oh, Ring uh, GI Joe type. Yeah. Yeah, I invested in that Kickstarter uh with uh Ron Rudat and 
all those people doing some of that work. And, you know, that's a, he's a famous oh, yeah. artist with Hasbro. He worked on a lot of the guys with, uh, with, through the Hasbro line. So he's a legend in the industry as well. It's, it's exciting to see what's going on and I'm hoping for more and more. So. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited to see where that goes as well. You know, the other thing I would say about that is, is how much are the super seven ultimate figures, the wrestling super sevens? I was thinking the Matt Cardona to Brian Myers, they about $40, 50, so, yeah. 40, 50. So I can, um, I, I really hope the, the power town figures aren't that, I, I mean, is it too much to think that it'll be a twenty nine ninety nine price point? I mean, do you think that's an even possibility? I don't. I don't think. I, I think it'll be higher than that on the Kickstarter. I could be wrong, but yeah. I think the Kickstarter will be higher than that. But and maybe, but maybe as they get into it, they'll go down. But um, yeah. and yeah. I may be wrong. I may be wrong because uh, you know Steve has never said, but he always says that you know the Kickstarter amount uh, is not going to be like outrageous. They set the point on Kickstarter, so yeah. it yeah. may not be as bad as I thought. I think they're going to get plenty of. Uh, of orders and as long as everything goes well, we'll, we'll have these, I would say within the next, um, if it comes so, out in Labor Day, we'll have them by December or April or something like that at latest. Yeah. Next seven to 10 years. I'm just seven. kidding <laughs> <laughs> to get all 200 wrestlers out. But, I have, I have heard of some horror stories with, uh, Kickstarters before, but I'm oh, sure that's yeah. more stuff that's, uh, me, you know, not less, less established. Yeah. You know what? Right now, so so the major podcast Super Seven, the you can get the two pack of Brian Myers and Mark Cardona or two or two set of two sixty eight ninety nine for that. But but and I say but they have a series two of them yeah. coming out Super right. Seven that are seventy four ninety nine each. Woo! Holy cow, dude! That's crazy. That is, yeah, they, that is yeah. crazy. And I don't know. They may be way better. I don't know. I'd have to look into them. I, I just saw this. Well, they're, they're, they're up for pre-order now. So, wow. Be honest. The face scans on the first one, it wouldn't take much to be better. But, you know, I yeah. felt like, I felt like the, the, the Myers looked dead or something. He just looked, it was almost like it was like a plastic mask of him or something. It wasn't like a, you know, a real face sculpt of, of Brian. But again, you know, I don't know. It seems like I'm, being I was a little down on, on, on that with, even with the good brothers ones. Yeah. Too, I thought there was something wrong with the, I mean, yeah. and I don't know what all goes into the face scans, but uh, yeah. hopefully, hopefully they'll get that sorted out if it's. Yeah. Well, do you have any more for action figures, buddy? No, that's it for today. All right. Well, this is, again, one of your very special birthday episodes. Happy 41 to the Plastic Chic. Thank you. <laughs> figures sold separately. Man, I tell you, this has been a fun episode. You know, a storyline that we both knew and loved growing up, really enjoyed it, put a lot of our watching time into this. And so... What I would like to do to the listeners. Now, don't worry if you don't feel like saying your piece on this. We can think of our own stuff. But that being said, if you go on our Facebook group at GMBMPW on our Twitter or our Instagram and you type in hashtag what if 
And then the idea that you would like maybe us to cover in the future, Jared and I, we already have a list of what if episodes that we, you know, feel like everybody would love to hear, or we would just love to talk about whatever. But if you have something that you would like us to cover in the, what if idea or perspective, put what if hashtag, what if, and we will, we will look into that and see what we can do about making a show again, GMBMPW on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and give me back my pro wrestling on YouTube. You know, don't forget about us on YouTube. If you don't like listening to the podcast through the normal Apple, Google, Spotify, all those others, you can always listen to them at the same time. They drop on the regular podcast. You can always listen to us through YouTube as well. We are an audio only podcast and if y'all want to go video, you can, but I won't be involved. <laughs> I'm just not doing video. It's not my thing. <laughs> but anyway, all the other folks can do video. I just feel audio is, is more to me. So, and I'm a pretty man too. You know, it's nothing, you know, it's just, oh, well. But anyway, long story short, I think that's it for the day. Unless you have anything else you'd like to add, Judd. No, I think that ties it up, brother. All right. Well, thank you all one more time for listening. As always, keep in touch. Let us know what you like. Let us know what you'd like to hear. Rate and review as well. We need some ratings on Apple, Google, Spotify, any place that will let you rate and review us. Go ahead and give us a five star and write a little review. Say, hey, I like this. Hey, do this, whatever. We really appreciate it. It means a lot to us to get those. So once again, for the Plastic Chic Jut, and I'm the professor. We are. Give me back my pro wrestling. Don't forget. Oh, yeah. Fight forever. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> With a tear in my eye. This is the greatest moment in my life. This has been a James Rock Street production.